Welcome to School of the Rock, a podcast about faith, culture, and evangelization. As always, my name is Father Bobby Blood here with Nicholas Sintovich. Week three of season three. How's it going, Nick? Father Blood, it's so great to, uh, to hear your voice. It's been too long. I know, it's been too long. We're just enjoying this like great string of like beautiful days, 70s outside. It's kind of weird. He's too good to us. And you know, he's especially too good to us because we're not alone this week, huh? We're not alone. We have two very special guests. We have Nick and Carolyn Frank, the Franks, who are joining us today. Nick and Carolyn, welcome to School of the Rock. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. Hi, guys. I don't know why I whispered. Hello. Yeah, why did you whisper? <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a secret podcast. It's, just, it's very calming, though. It's, just, it's a nice way to kind of enter into it. This is this is actually an, this is actually an ASMR podcast. Oh gosh! You know what I mean? Oh, I'll I'll teach you. It's like when you whisper. <laughs> so we uh, we have two uh, two great guests today, and uh, they are um, also St. Charles uh, residents. Do you guys want to give a little brief description of of who you are um, and and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Um, we are still relatively new to the St. Charles area. I mean, we moved down here a year ago, but then COVID came a few months into the move. And so we've kind of been, you know, like everyone else just locked in our house. So we're still adjusting to uh, the community down here, but I work at St. Pat's uh, Parish. Uh, my title is the director of Parish Mission and Vision, which is a, a unique title, but essentially just helping uh, keep our, our mission to make Jesus first, uh, in front of all of our volunteers, in front of our staff, just helping form people in that understanding and uh, keeping first things first in the parish. So that's what I'm doing. And I am, uh, I work full time as an infusion nurse, but it's kind of cool because I get to work here at home. I work two 24 hour shifts. And so I just work in my bed for 24 hours. I never leave the room. It's fantastic. And, uh, and then I get to be here raising, uh, we have four kids. Um, ages seven to almost one. And so um, I get to be here and around them a lot. And so it's kind of a lot, but it's a really, really good life. What, what, is, what, is it, what is it like having like kids that age in like the time of the pandemic? What, what, what are like, what, what's like one surprise, a positive surprise and what's like one of the more difficult things? Ooh, the positive surprise is tricky. I think one of the positive surprises is just how, easy going the kids are like Josephine our three-year-old is in preschool and she is all about wearing the mask to school every yeah, day yeah 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 so it's almost like they don't know what they don't know and they're venturing onto the world and they just assume oh we've always worn masks and washed our hands 50 times a day yeah they don't know anything um, besides that it's I, also kind of, that's kind of a negative too though it's like sometimes I, I like check them I'm like are you are you panicking? Like we'll be going to Target without masks and they'll all just start panicking. And I'm like, are we, are we creating like these anxious little dermaphobes? Who knows? Maybe. But you're right. They have. That's, that's been my experience with Nick too. Every time I take uh, Nick out for a walk, he freaks out. It's just like, okay, man, calm down. We're outside. Yeah. We're I start barking. It's going to be okay. I start barking at all the other dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you are exactly the same as our two-year-old juice. Wow. I knew I liked food. Yeah, 
It's pretty cool. But um, I would say, yeah, so you're right. That is kind of a positive thing. A negative thing is everything else. <laughs> it's just so, like, we're, Nick and I are in this rows of maybe, I don't know, they say teenagers are hard, but maybe the hardest stage of parenting, just in terms of, like, nobody can get their own sock on and Oof. there's never a shoe to be found. And so just to, like, leave the house, to, like, kick them outside, I'm like, it's outside time. And then, like, two hours later, we're still looking for a sock and everybody's melting down. And and then I put them outside and they're back in 20 seconds later. And so, like, it, the hardest part is just that there's we, – we have a lot of little kids and they're very dependent still. And so just kind of being – here in that more um is definitely just elevated stress as well yeah we're just outnumbered <laughs> so I, I remember growing up my mom would always tell us to go outside and i thought it's because she wanted us to get exercise but now i'm realizing she just needed a break yeah yeah that's yeah. it's it's both it's both it's 90 10 it's mostly that i don't want to see that uh, my kids drinking at such an early time of the day so i'm like yeah i gotta make sure they get their exercise yeah that's right yeah it's definitely challenging so how long have the two of you been married for you've been married for eight nine ten twelve 10 years. Yeah, just over 10. Yeah. 10 years. 10 year anniversary in August. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. You, you just said what I said, Father. I know. <laughs> but, you know, you, you learn from the best. It's a good one. So I kind of wanted to start our, our conversation with, uh, with, with your. Uh, insight and, and wisdom. So I, I wanted to give, uh, so Pope Francis in his encyclical Amoris Laetitia quotes Pope Benedict, and he says this, and I want to get your thoughts on this quotation. He says, Pope Benedict in his encyclical Deus Caritas Des, which I suppose I could have just pulled up myself, return to the topic of, of truth um, in marriage, which is fully illuminated only in the love of the crucified Christ. He stressed that marriage based on an exclusive, exclusive and definite love becomes an icon of the relationship between God and his people and vice versa. And I wanted to focus in on that idea of um, marriage and, and like the crucified Lord, because I think it kind of, it comes up a lot when we talk about um, Catholicism and the sacrament of marriage, the idea that marriage is a sacrifice and, and in a way um, it becomes uh, kind of an icon of, of the crucified Jesus. Uh, and that's that's nice. That's a great image. But for those of us either that are not married or, you know, think that it's just an idea, what are some of the ways that that's um, both a, a reality in its challenges, but also a grace in recognizing um, Jesus's own sacrifice? And I'll, I'll, I'll punt it over to, to Nick and Carolyn, whoever wants to to give their thoughts on that. Um, I'll start. I'll, yeah, I'll start it out. It, you know, it's crazy that you just brought this question up um, because I was just saying, like, how long ago was that, honey? Eight minutes ago? Um, just how, you know, Nick and I's um, 10 years of marriage 
it started very difficult. Um, and Luke doesn't always love when I talk about our marriage, like in such a negative light. Um, but the first few years of our marriage were really, 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 really hard. And, um, you know, Nick brought some things into the marriage that were um, unhealthy and, and no good. Um, and I also did. Um, I had, you know, had a terrible relationship before marriage and just brought a whole lot of baggage from that relationship in. Um, and so, you know, the things Nick was struggling coupled with like very high expectations and, um, yeah, just me just kind of grasping for love really did not sit well in the beginning of our marriage. Um, and you know, it's funny though, because where we are now, I don't believe we could ever have gotten here without those first few years. And by that, I mean, when you are, um, when you are like brokenhearted in, in a marriage, the Lord is so close and truly like the, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross, you know, arms outstretched. You feel that so much when you're hurt in a marriage and you're trying to love through that in a way that is so intimate and so vulnerable and you're forgiving through that, um, and you're you're giving each other mercy. Um, we you know we look back and we literally like we're just so grateful for those first few years, which is crazy for me to think that because they were they were very hard. Um, and I mean that's that's everything. Like that's just the grace that came from that period um, has really kind of overtaken our marriage. And we're just constantly grateful that, A, we got through that, um, but B, that we now know of this love that is so sacrificial. And, you know, in the, in the day-to-day to lay my life down for Nick is, is almost easy with the grace that has been given to us compared to where we were. Um, so we, we kind of got walloped in the beginning of our marriage, and now it's just like, we're, we're in a really good space with the Lord and with each other. Um, sure. Yeah. So I, I think that like going back to that quote from, from Benedict and what, what Francis was quoting in, in his encyclical, I think that the sacrificial love of Jesus has the, the two aspects as Ken we're kind of touching on is, is one that with the, the constant reminder model um, image knowledge of, of Christ crucified before us that we can unify ourselves to him uh, to, to become a, a crucified cruci- uh, to become cruciformed ourselves um, to be like him in marriage uh, just gives us the grace this kind of thing to to deal with whatever to deal with our own brokenness to deal with each other's brokenness to deal with kids waking you up at all hours of the night um, but also that constant act of sacrifice, not only uniting ourselves to Christ's crucifixion, but to continue that um, in in the small and the big ways. And I think that that's something that, as Ken was saying, like that I just kind of took for granted early on in marriage that, uh, you know, I thought once you got married, you just kind of were, you know, your best friends, you had all the 
all the great things about marriage, but you didn't have to sacrifice anymore. And, um, but really the, the, the glue that, that makes the marriage work is sacrifice. And when there's usually a, a hardship or a difficulty, um, in marriage, it's usually, if it's, if it's coming from within the marriage, it's usually because one of us isn't leaning into that sacrifice or we're trying to avoid the sacrifice. And, um, but that's what makes it so beautiful, that constant outpouring of love and our lives and, um, just everything we have for each other and our family. It's it's what makes marriage, um, attractive, um, hopefully to the outside world. So yeah, it's a beautiful quote. Hopefully we're living it out. And I love that balance of you kind of have the the universal idea of, of what the sacrificial love is. And even when we talk about suffering, right, we kind of have this um, universal idea. But uh, to be able to hear your witness and, and be able to see in the fleshiness of what actual suffering is and then to see the practical love in the midst of that suffering. I think that's one thing that, that maybe sometimes we miss in, in work in ministry or even, you know, as individuals trying to spread the gospel. I think sometimes we try to make it too perfect or too beautiful right away instead of allowing uh, the messiness uh, to radiate um, the glory that the Lord wants to offer. And so it's beautiful to see that it, even in your own, your own story and your own experience and, and, relationship with each other yeah absolutely it's uh it is messy but it's it is beautiful at the same time in a certain way too what strikes me about your story is is really what you know is kind of part of the story of the bible which is god using our humanity kind of what you were saying carolyn both bringing in different sort of like very human 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 weaknesses but through that, through those weaknesses, God was, it was, and is able to make something really beautiful out, out of that. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't know if that resonates with you at all. But yeah. I mean, that's it. Like that's, it, it's wild to be grateful for something that was so hard, but if I had a, a full on do over, um, I, I would, you know, do the same thing again, because it, it honestly has stripped back so much of our, um, just kind of front that we put on for each other. Like, I, I'm Nick. I'm this perfect guy with these blue eyes. And I am Carolyn. I'm cute all the time. Um, that was stripped away immediately. And so we were able to, like, see see right into the sacrifice. Um, and, then, and then from there, it honestly, it, it's, just been, it's just been so beautiful. One thing that's super interesting to me, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is how has the Lord worked on your heart as individuals uh, throughout these last 10 years? And then as a couple, is it, do you have, you know, sort of this distinct mission in your own heart where you feel the Lord um, growing and stretching and then kind of an additional sort of work the Lord does as a couple or do they always kind of overlap? How, how, how's that sort of spiritual journey look shifted into that life-giving uh, relationship in marriage? Yeah, I would say it's, for us, is I've seen it as a both and that there's definitely God still working, calling, um, inspiring us individually, 
but that's never completely distinct from what he's also trying to do within our marriage. Um, so whenever there's something going on in Carolyn's heart um, or, or in my heart and we're able to talk about it or pray with it, um, we always we always kind of push it against our, our family and our vocation of, of, um, of our marriage and, and how does that relate to both of us and how does that purify both of us? Um, so I, I would, I would say it's a, it's a both and, but like I've, I've noticed that the person I turn to most for help with my discernment is Carolyn is my wife. And the thing that it's probably, I don't know, seven or eight years of our marriage to figure out that when it comes to discernment, she has always been right, which mm-hmm. was something I didn't want to admit the first few years of marriage. But when things were like going crazy at work or I wanted to run off and do the next thing or that I could handle another aspect of church work or whatever it was. And she would, you know, kind of call me back to the family, um, call me back home, you know, make sure I'm around helping out, doing, doing what a husband and father should do. Um, as much as I hated giving up my own plans and desires, when I took it to prayer, it, God was using Carolyn to, to speak truth. Um, you know, in, into my life and into what my vocation was calling me to. So um, definitely I've seen God use Carolyn to perfect what he's doing in, in my life. Um, and then if I could go ahead, um, for me, it is, there is such an overlap if I'm not um, really close with the Lord. Um, because I, I don't know, it, it could just be my personality, but it, it could just also be the feminine heart. Um, it's, it's sometimes easier to put Nick like right in the place of the Lord in my heart because he's right in front of me. And like the, he like lights up the romantic side of my heart. And um, so sometimes it's easier to just like, you know, not pray, get lazy and just kind of whatever I'm lacking get from Nick um, because he is such a good husband. Um, but very quickly we realize like just how terrible that is on our marriage. Like it, it typically looks like me wanting more from Nick than he can give. And that's always like a very quick Testament, um, like just a quick, like easy sign. Like when I get that way, like we know like, Oh, Carolyn, like when's the last time you've prayed? And I'm, I'm like, Oh, you know, it's been a couple of days or like, prayed yesterday but I really didn't pray I like tried to pray um so it yeah it it really overlaps for me especially we can we can see it and I'm just kind of like like I used the word grasp earlier I just start to kind of grasp at him and like why aren't you doing this with me right now like oh do you not want to hold my hand I just kind of start nitpicking at him um to fill these places in my heart that only the Lord can fill What would you guys say about the importance of, and Father Blood was also going to ask this too, but I'll just jump in, of in, of intentionality in the relationship? Because, you know, you know, taking what you were saying earlier, Nick, you know, you think all of a sudden you, you come into marriage and it's like, well, you're just going to be great and your faults are going to be there. But uh, I, I'm guessing a necessary part is to, to make those concrete steps toward 
you know, loving the other person and, and taking care of, of the family. And it doesn't, it doesn't just magically happen. Yeah. And a- absolutely. And, and that's what you're asking is exactly what was the, uh, was my shortcoming or one of my shortcomings early on in marriage was, uh, I would bust my butt, you know, nine to five or, um, and I thought that my, my downtime was, was at home and, uh, really, so I wasn't being intentional. I wasn't being intentional with Carolyn's part. I wasn't being intentional um, with, with with our marriage, with with our kids when they were little. Um, well, they're still little, but like when Addie, our oldest one, she was little. So um, all that to be said, everything in marriage is intentional. I mean, for me, uh, it's intent- like when I wake up in the morning is intentional because I know I need to get my prayer in before the rest of the house wakes up. And uh, I know that from five o'clock till eight o'clock at night, uh, I'm going to be in dad mode and chasing kids around and changing diapers and playing and cleaning and cleaning and cleaning and cleaning some more. Um, <laughs> and then I've got about an hour, hour and a half with Carolyn that, that I can't check out, um, that I need to be attentive to her. And then I, I, I get to sleep, you know? So, so, you know, like 10 to 10 to five is, is my rest, like literally, uh, and then the next day you get up and do it all again. And it's all intentional, um, but it's so fulfilling. It's exhausting, but it's it's so much more fulfilling than binge watching anything on Netflix. Yeah, what I love about that is um, to recognize sometimes um, the difficult good becomes the thing we long for, but we just have to allow the space to long for it. Instead of, you know, filling it with those, those easy sort of recreations to just take a breather and realize like, I actually desire more rest than what I've been getting. So that's, that's easier said than done. I can imagine though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One practical question I had for you that this is kind of the, the theme of, um, the reason I kind of like this podcast I've realized over the last year and a half being a priest, how little I know. Um, and I think we've got a lot of blind spots in the church. Um, and that's why I'm excited to talk to, to two people living faithfully the domestic church. Um, how better could the church be serving your needs as a family? Um, maybe it's, you know, from the, the priest perspective or, um, something we could kind of shift and, and think out of the box in parishes to support you and your actual needs instead of just trying to, to, to do more things. What could we do practically that would actually make a positive effect in, in your spiritual journey, but also in your practical life? Um, don't hold back. The first thing that comes to my mind, I really don't have much. Um, but I know, I know you're, I know you're a priest. I know Father Claytor is not doing good enough. You can call him out probably. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's so funny because Father, it, what Father Claytor does is actually what I was about to say. Um, <laughs> hey, Father. Oh gosh. I, I set it up. me to affirm him on a podcast. But um, the first thing I was going to say is like, when we come to mass with our kids, I just, I just want everybody to be aware the hustle that it takes for us to get there. Like I said earlier, all those little socks and shoes and we're running late and they need snacks. And now somebody just pooped and, 
they get in these little traditions where like they hold a rosary one time in mass. And so then the next time you come back to mass, there's like a, a meltdown of the rosary is not in the bag where it was the last time. Like there's just so many little annoyances. Um, and then, you know, obviously I think there's like some Satan at play there. Like you're like, be holy. Like on, on the way to mass, you're like yelling at each other. There's just so much that it takes to get those four kids looking like decent people and get to mass on time and their little masks on them and all of that stuff. Um, that when then you get there and you, you know, you, you sit in a pew um, and your two-year-old is doesn't understand that he can't sing no more monkeys jumping on the bed at the top of his lungs during mass. And you're taking him out and you're spanking him and there's it can just be so embarrassing. Like when when you just feel like you're not being a great parent, like in mass, like you're, you're doing everything you can. You're like pinching their ears when nobody's looking and you're trying so hard to get them to behave. Um, and then sometimes people comment and it can be like terrible. And I, I actually would say our kids are like an A minus type group of like small children in mass. They're not the worst. B minus. B minus. Really? Totally. What about you? C minus. Oh, I mean, he lowers the. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is, there a cur is there a couple outliers, and do we need to impose yeah, a curve? Straight on a curve, I think. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. So, so I think for me, any type of like positive encouragement at the end of men is so it just fits really well. Like, in a in a heart that is so like I, during mass, I am just so aware of like people's eyes on us or like, okay, we're trying to like be this like, um, like happy Catholic family. And we look right now, like we're miserable. And so it can just be kind of hard to be aware of like, we're representing like Catholic families and it's just really difficult at mass. So then when people comment, like I'm shattered, like if it's a bad comment, but if it's a good comment, I'm like, Oh, like we, okay, thank you. Like, I just, I feel like people like see us and they like see our kids and, the fact that our, you know, we're trying to make our kids holy. Um, and then second part of that is like priest involvement in our family has been so critical. Like Nick and I, every time we have the priests over that are close to us, um, they leave our house and we're like, this is, this is what it's all about. Like our kids get to grow up with these other fathers that are so close to them that like, they just, they just wrestle them to the ground and they kiss them. And, you know, our, our second daughter, Josephine has like such a love for father Cleda and she calls him father Cleda. And there's just this constant, they're just so used to priests being around. And that's just beautiful for our family to be able to point to our children someday, especially our boys and say, look at, this is the witness of Catholic priests in your life. And aren't they great Catholic priests? And so just, yeah, for our family, it means the world that people like you, Father Blood, um, would come around and just love us and, and allow us to just love you, too, for who you are. So those are the first two things that come to my mind. Yeah, and if I could just add one other thing to that, and I work for a church, and so I'm guilty of this, but I think a lot of times those of us who work for churches and we're like, hey, let's do something for young families or for married couples. And then we're like, great, we're going to do a event at the church at six o'clock at night on Friday. And that's during dinner time. There's no babysitting. There's like, we don't, we don't actually, like, I think that if we could kind of put ourselves 
us church workers or priests are in the shoes of these young families who are just overwhelmed and trying so hard just to, to get by. Um, so maybe that's like a, a later event in the evening or, or for babysitters or um, something that would make the accessibility to the church is easier. Um, but I think what Kevin said was huge, the, the Sunday experience where you're welcomed, you don't feel judged. Um, so just a comment or something, either uh, before or after Mass, um, just speaks volumes to, uh, to us, to our family. Yeah, I found uh, oftentimes if kids are screaming during Mass, their homily is better than mine. Um, I did have one lady upset at one point at a parish I was serving at because there was a, a loud Catholic family and, you know, I've grown in formation, but my response right away was, well, when you die in the next 10 years, that sound is the hope that the church will still be alive. Um, you know, and that's, I would never say that today, right. To somebody's face, but uh, you know, two weeks ago, it would have came out, you know, right away. Yeah. Um, Our podcast is all fair game. Right. Yeah. No, but I, I appreciate your point too, to say, um, to the priests, allow the families to love them too. Cause I know that's even been a difficult thing for me to kind of navigate, especially during COVID. But um, there's this weird thing where you're on all the time, you're the priest, um, but I'm a human being with real needs. And that's a hard thing to kind of find that safe place with family. So I appreciate you naming that because on our side, um, it goes a lot farther than, than maybe you even know. So I, I appreciate your, your caring for priests so generously in allowing them to be a part of family. Um, Cause I think it, it softens us uh, as priests and ministers, right? Where um, the church really needs it. Mm. Yeah. Father, I mean, we, we genuinely love you. And so it, it's like, it's a treasure. And we spend time with our family. Like that's, that's not a, that's not fake. It's not a facade. Like we really, we want you in our life and we, we love who you are. Thank you. <laughs> what you doing after this podcast? Oh, probably going to sleep, but thanks. <laughs> I think I have the 6.30 a.m. mass tomorrow, so. <laughs> Damn. Well, I think this is, a, this is a great place to stop. Thank you. Uh, thank you both so much for coming on. Um, but before we, before we end every podcast, we usually give some kind of a recommendation to the audience, something totally different from, uh, from the usual topics of, of Catholic conversation. And because I didn't ask either of you on the spot, I'll give a recommendation, but feel free if you want to give some recommendation, a book you're reading, a, a food you like, or a show or something like that, feel free. My recommendation will just be, uh, just to go to Culver's and have a nice little frozen custard from Culver's because I don't know why in the winter time I've been really craving ice cream more and uh, I had some really good stuff last night, but I haven't had Culver's in a long time. So my recommendation is if you're in the Midwest, head to your nearest Culver's. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, when your winter is 75 degrees, it's not that weird to want ice cream. I feel like. you're right. That's, it's been a warm week. It's extraordinary. Yeah. That's a great practice. Gosh, Recommendations would be like political nonsense. Yeah, let's end the podcast now, guys. This is okay. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, we'll get off the rail. Yeah, we have. We have, we have, we have, I, have I have to keep my tax exempt status. So. <laughs>
<laughs> all right sounds good well thanks so much for joining us guys appreciate right. it hey thanks thank you guys you guys have a good day. Pray for you. God bless you. Thank you.